um, he's talking about Jesus. Can you read this with me? Can you read that all right? Yeah. Boy, something is not uh, the same for me in that back. I know it's my eyes, <laughs> probably, Bob. Let's read, shall we? I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That is a prophetic word about Jesus, about who he is and what he will do. And uh, let us hear from that today. Can we pray? Father, bless your word. May your spirit lead and guide us. Um, in the midst of the, uh, what's the word I want today, Lord? In the midst of the complexity of church and life, uh, encourage us. And for that, we give you thanks. Blessings on your people as we enter into the word. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said with me, please. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, I forgot my clicker. Not used to that yet. I'm going to get to this uh, picture a little bit later in two, but this is a picture of wheat and darnel. So this is what Jesus is going to be talking about today. Does that make sense? Wheat or weeds or tares. The word is, is darnel, and we'll get to that as we look at that. You know, I love my neighbor. He's, he has the most amazing yard. In fact, his humility in this issue is the first thing that I noticed when I first moved into my neighborhood. It was within the first week of moving here. I didn't have a lawnmower, by the way. Ken Garris actually brought over something made in 1854. But man, it was, it was a good mower. Um, yeah. So I was trying to figure out at the end of the mowing season where I was going to get a lawnmower and how this was all going to work. And he came out and said, you know, I'm probably not going to be the best neighbor when it comes to my yard. I went, oh, no. Spring came, and I don't know what he was talking about. He had the most beautiful lawn. It was a sea of yellow. Yellow dandelions, yellow buttercup, yellow crabgrass, yellow, yellow. I don't think there was a blade of grass in his entire yard. It was weeds. But as someone actually in the church told me, they just stopped doing all of that and said, you know what, after it's all done, it's all green anyways. And I said, well, I'm still going to fight the fights. I'm going to keep moving. And uh, I realized that I had moved next to the lawn from hell. But the bees loved him. And all, how do you pronounce that? Uh, uh, apiarists said, amen. There we go. We got one in today. So... Uh, on the other hand, I get the benefit of weed seed transfer. Do you all know what that means? Yeah. 
Genesis tells us that weeds came in with sin. I don't know how that worked, by the way, because everything that God created was good. So something happened in the sin process where creation began to turn on humanity. Uh, God doesn't explain that. God doesn't give us any indication. All we know is that when the curse came, uh, man is now, now not in harmony with his world. Now he's at enmity with it. Now he's fighting against it. And that's what weeds and thorns and thistle and all of that take place. Um, it's a reminder that life is a battle between literally spiritually uh, weeds and wheat. It's part of the deception of the enemy. Satan's workers do not enter the church with a red suit and a pitchfork. They often come in in really nice people with well-dressed, well-educated, articulate persons who truly want to get involved. And because they're so anxious to get involved, we as a church love those type of people, don't we? Oh, you want to be a Sunday school teacher? Oh, we'd love to have you to be a Sunday school teacher. We need Sunday school teachers. You want to be a deacon? Oh, gosh, you were a deacon in your other church? Great, we'd love for you to be a deacon. And we're so eager to have people get in and serve that we forget to ask them a very important question. Are you a believer? Tell me your story. How did you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Because what you might have just allowed into the system is just a very religious dead person. Does that make sense, church? And that's where vigilance comes in. That's where being an overseer, that's what elders are supposed to do. That's their job is to ask those types of questions. They come and perhaps unknowingly, perhaps with sincere and good motives, But they steal and they kill and they destroy and they deceive and they divide and then they move on to another church that does not ask them the same vital questions. Jesus is going to use this unintended battle to teach about the kingdom and the final battle. He's going to take us to the garden once again and he's going to show us the weeds and he's going to also show us the wheat as well. I want you to listen to the story found in Matthew. Matthew 13, 24, uh, actually all the way down into the 40s, uh, but I'll take the first number of verses, 24 through 30. Uh, Follow along, if you would please, as I read. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed what type of seed, church? Yeah, he sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and he sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go out and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may also, uh, you may root up, what else, church? You might root up the wheat with them. So here's the solution. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. I've always had a problem with the sequence on this, but I'm thinking like a Westerner. I'm not thinking like an Eastern, Middle Easterner, all right? 
I would not normally gather the weeds. I would get the crop out first. All right? So just keep that in mind as you think through that. So now, unlike the first parable that Jesus taught us, uh, this one does not have to do with differing soils. This has to do with differing seed, differing seeds. Before we get into the explanation in verses 36 to 43, I want to point out certain elements to the story because the elements connect us with the story spiritually and then help us get into the main point. So here's the first one. The seed was, what type? It was good seed, something healthy, something marketable, something that's going to be beneficial for everyone. Because if you get a good crop of wheat, that means you're able to not only provide bread for your family, but you can also sell healthy, good bread for other people. So the good seed was uh, what the farmer was trying to produce. Second, the enemy came in and he sowed what type of seeds? Sowed bad seeds with the intent of, of ruining the harvest. I do not want the farmer to succeed. That is the only reason for the seed. The seed is not beneficial. The seed, you can't eat it, you can't bake with it, you can't do anything with it. There's only one purpose for this type of seed, and it's to do harm. Make sense? Third, the enemy sowed poisonous weeds intended to harm those who ingest its grain. Um, This is not the common weed. The word that Jesus used here is darnel. Darnel is a poisonous weed. And if you ingest it, it causes horrendous uh, intestinal uh, issues. Not only diarrhea, but constant vomiting. To the point, if you eat too much of it, it it can be fatal. So this is not just a simple weed. This is a very life-threatening weed that has been planted in the farmer's field. For it's also called, isn't this interesting, false wheat. You see, because when it sprouts, and while it's still growing side by side with the wheat, it cannot be what? can't be distinguished you don't know if it's wheat and you don't know if it's poisonous weed that's the thing that's very scary about that all right here's a a picture of this now as a farm boy i can see a ton of difference between these two things you know the wheat on one side if you look at the stem it's very narrow uh, by the way, uh, one of the, the keys of, uh, in regards to this is that when wheat gets to the point where it's ready to harvest, it does this. Do you see that in the fields? It droops. The head's too heavy for the stalk, so it comes down. In, in Darnell, the stalk is very um, st- stiff. I was thinking fibrous. Uh, it stands straight up. So you can tell by the way the thing stands. Isn't that interesting spiritually? I thought about this. True wheat always has what type of an attitude? And fake wheat always has pride. Isn't that interesting how nature even reveals that in some ways? Here's another picture of that. Darnel and wheat. The other thing that I I focused on spiritually about this was wheat is what? Do you see the 
It's symmetrical, it's straight, it's even, it, it moves up. Darnel is what? It's twisted. It, it's, it has a misshape with it. There's so much that God reveals in our world about the spiritual nature of things going on if we could just pay attention. Of course, Jesus is God and he understands this and so it's part of the, the lesson that he's teaching. It would have been a very visual lesson He would have pointed to the fields and said, look, you can see it. You can see that poisonous weed out there. You all know it, because if you don't, you're all in trouble. So you teach that stuff very quickly to your kids. Hey, don't eat that. You know, don't eat those berries. (laughs) They're poisonous berries. And those are going to cause you stomach problems. Don't eat that particular leaf. All right? It's poison ivy. Leaves of three, leave it be, or in my case, leaves, leave it be, all right? I'm allergic to everything, all right? All right, interesting, it was sown when everyone was what? Yeah, because if the farmer and the servants would have been vigilant, the enemy would not have been able to sow the seed in the field. So while they were asleep, that was the only way the enemy could get in and cause the disruption Next, the farmer and the servants only found this at the end of the season when they examined the heads, the fruit of the the stem. They knew that something was not right because of the way the formation was going, but they couldn't declare what was what until the fruit came out. It is the fruit that dictates and determines what is fake and what is not. The only option the farmer had was to do what? I find this interesting as well. The only option the farmer had was to let the weeds and the wheat grow together for the next couple of months until the harvest. Hmm. And when the harvest came, the workers were instructed to get the weeds first and the wheat second. Why would that be, by the way? You old-time farmers will get this. When you didn't, when you didn't harvest with a combine and you harvest with a, a scythe or, you know, I, I had one of those long um, death, you know, <laughs> scythes. I had a long one, but they would have a short scythe or a sickle. Uh, that's how they would harvest it. So they would cut small sections of this so it was easy to go in your section and get that weed out first. And the reason you would get the weed out first, like any harvested grain, is because if you tried to harvest the weed around it, the seed from the darnel would do what? Fall into the good wheat. And what would happen then to your good wheat? No good. Because once you get the seed in, very difficult for that to get out. So that's why when you read the scriptures, you got to think like a Middle Eastern, not like a Western combiner. You know, the combine goes in and gets everything and spits it out and keeps the seed. You can't do that. Uh, So Jesus is talking about how does this work? Well, you get the weeds out first. Why? You don't want to damage the harvest. You don't want to make it worthless by letting that seed fall where it needs to be. All right. Um, Let's turn to verse 36 so that I can get the explanation. It said this, Then he, that is Jesus, left the crowd and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, as always, because they hadn't had the understanding. And they said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. 
And he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. So my question to you this morning is, who's the farmer? The one who sowed the seed, the good seed, is the son of man. Who's the son of man? Jesus. Jesus is the farmer. Jesus is the one that sows. Jesus is also the first fruits and all kinds of other things. He's a multi-tasking person. 38, the field is it's the whole world, right? And the good seed stands for us, those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. They've been planted out there. And the enemy who sows them is, is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are... It's very interesting. If you read Matthew 25, uh, Jesus picks up on that when it comes to the end of the age, when he separates farmers, separates the this from the this. What is it? Matthew 25. Yeah, sheep from the goats. Yeah, the sheep are the followers of Christ. The goats are the followers of Satan. They're the secularists. Uh, there's the, that's the enemy. There's going to come a time when the angels do that. They are the, the harvesters. They're the ones that separate. They can see the fruit in itself. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Talking about moving into the end stage. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus always describes hell this way. Uh, hell is the temporal place. As we get into Revelation, you'll see that. Uh, the lake of fire, sulfur and fire is actually the eternal place. Revelation chapter 19. Main point, in this present manifestation of the kingdom, right now, we have to realize something, that there is what? There's fake believers, and guess where they're at? They're commingled with true believers. That's the main point that Jesus is trying to help us to understand, all right? So we need to be vigilant about making sure we understand who is part of the church and who is not part of the church. That's important for us as leaders as we think through that. There's several questions that can be developed from that main point. Number one, it's for us today. First, question for you today. Am I what? Am I a genuine believer or, or a fake one? That's an honesty question for you this morning. Am I a genuine believer or am I a fake one? Religious deception is the greatest weapon of the devil, church. Happened in the fourth century when Constantine came in and declared that Christianity was going to be now the state religion of the empire. Worst thing that could have ever happened to Christianity. Up until that time, it was persecutions, it was martyrdom. Everybody knew who was a true believer and everybody knew who a fake one was because a fake believer doesn't go into the arena and get torn by wild beasts. A fake believer does not go into the, uh, the arena and have to fight gladiators. Uh, fake believers don't do that. True believers do. 
They give their life for Christ. Uh, we don't have that anymore, except in other parts of the, worry, area, uh, the world where persecution is still taking place. Am I a genuine believer or a fake one? You can go to church all your life and still go to hell. Do you know that? Church doesn't save you. You can be a good person all your life and still go to hell. You can give most of your income to helping the poor and to good causes and still go to hell. You can look, sound, smell, and behave like a believer and never be one. The Apostle Paul told Titus in Titus 1 and 16 that there are those who claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They have the stock, but they don't have the fruit. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for doing anything good. And this is why in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Very important question. How is this possible? Because religious practice and presence deceives people into thinking that they're right with a holy God. They think that there's something because of what they do. The only way a person is right with a holy God is by receiving the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Period. Does that make sense? That's why we have to be very, very, very careful about traditions within the church. And I'm not just talking about St. Thomas. I'm talking about every church I've ever been a part of. Traditions can become empty traditions where people go through the motions, they say the right words, and everybody claps their hands and says, yay, another one in the kingdom. And guess what hasn't changed? Church. Yeah. I've said this multiple times this week. For some reason, God has brought it in my mind and in conversation. We're not about information. We're about transformation. We're not about teaching people who Jesus is. We're about getting people to the point where they receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior and they have a relationship with Him. That's what we're about. We're about exposing people to the reality of how good God is and how connected we can be to the God of all creation. That's what we're after. We're not about pushing people through a, a system and having them make checkoffs after some event in their life. That's deception. And then people think, well, I did this and I did this, therefore I must be okay with God. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. That's the scary part about this. It's about really looking at your life and going, God, am, am I truly right with you? Is Jesus Christ truly the Lord of my life? And I need to know that, Lord, so help me. Isn't that a great prayer? That's an honest prayer. It's just saying, Lord, I, I want to be genuine in my life. You know, it's interesting to, 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 to read this about millennials. And if you're there, if you're 30s something, the most important thing in millennials' life is, anybody have an idea? Jan? Themselves. Well, that's been along since around uh, the garden. They, they want authenticity. They want genuineness. That's the, one of the top markers for millennials. They're sick and tired of fake and institutionals institutional issues and that's what Jesus is after he's not after the institution he's after the heart and how has that changed and so that's what's so important about that all right 
If you are a true wheat bearer, if you first converted into true wheat, you can't produce things that you're not. All right. Second, am I assuming that everyone who claims to be a Christian is a Christian? We need to take the time to hear people's stories because that fleshes it out, does it not? It absolutely does. Uh, we've got a couple people in the church, I won't name names because I won't embarrass them, but they're very good at asking that question. Hey, what's your story? How did you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Some people come up in a very traditional church like St. Thomas, and every event in their life has been genuine and produces fruit, and they are 100% believers. Other people come from non-traditional places uh, and they're more freer churches and it's an interesting how God brings us to to his son Jesus in different ways that's the beauty of witnessing and testimonies which is another thing that I want to do on a Sunday morning and if you're willing to do that to share your story about how you came to know Jesus get a hold of me I'd love to start making space for that as well but don't assume that everybody who says that are a Christian is a Christian. The old adage, just because I stand in my garage does not make me a, a car. It just means I'm in the garage. Just because someone is in church does not mean that they're a Christian. All that means is that they're in church. We have to ask the other questions that get us to that. Third, uh, am I looking for spiritual fruit in the lives of others who claim to be Christians as well as in my own life? Because that's the ultimate determination of whether I am truly a believer. Am I changing? Am I transforming? Am I not the way that I was? I I hope and pray as Deb and I travel back to Indiana and we meet uh, old high school friends and family, I, I hope and pray to God that when I get home that I don't have people saying, oh, there, that's Danny, remember him. I want people going, wow, who are you? <laughs> You're not the same person that I knew years ago. I'm, I want people to say that. I want you to say about me, you know, Dan is not the same pastor he was last year. I see, I see greater things in him. I see more of Jesus in him this year than I saw last year. I, he prays differently than he prayed last year. You know, the way he, he expresses and teaches us the scriptures, that's not how... He started when he first got here. There's something different about him. And all God's people said, please, I want you to say that about me. And I want to say that about you, by the way. That tells me something about you, about your fruit and about how much you love God in your life. That's important, all right? Lastly, can you say that with me? I thought this was very creative, by the way. Are we praying for the weeds? Are we praying for the weeds? And our job is not to condemn. That's God's job. Our job is not to rout out, by the way, lest we hurt other people in the church. That happens, does it not? It does. God will do that in the end. Our job is to observe, to challenge, to question, and be vigilant in prayer so that the church will be a place where weeds can become wheat. That's what we want to see. That's what testimonies are. Testimonies are, I was once a weed, but now I am a wheat. 
That's what this is about. That's why church is so important. That's why believers are so important. Make sense? Awesome. We're going to have some prayer together. If you're in my Sunday school class, go grab a cup of coffee and some other stuff. If you're eating, make sure that it's over there. But we're going to be meeting in here today because uh, the um, missions team had to take my projector and everything. So we're going to be making camp in here so I can use this today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thanks for a good word today. Thanks for a good word from Bob. Thanks for a good word from others. Thanks for a good word by your Holy Spirit about these wheat weeds issues. Uh, Guide us, Lord, as we think about this and as we try to be a really healthy church. Um, We don't want to be legalistic. We don't want to be judgmental. But we we really need to know who's here and who loves Jesus and who's still on the journey and how we can pray for them because that's our role. We're to be encouragers and pointing people to Jesus every Sunday. Help us to do that well today, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, please, amen. Thank you, church.